Hello and welcome to the latest and greatest edition of the Quadcast. My name is John McAlevey. And for those of you newbies to the experience, while this is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, the Quadcast is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. It is truly a 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. I swear the older I get, the faster time flies. I mean, when did summer end and September arrive? While I am sad to see summer in the rearview mirror, it was way too hot for the kid. And the September temperatures are wonderful for walks around my neighborhood with Jochen the Wonder Service Dog. Speaking of Jochen, he continues to amaze and make his mark at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. When I enter a newly injured patient's room, he is the first thing they see, and the smile on their face means the world to us. To be able to provide even a few minutes of normalcy and happiness for someone coming to grips with a brand new and tragic existence is powerful. I tell you, my four-legged furry friend is making an even bigger mark than I ever thought possible. Thank God for the Yokinator. And now for a little news about this venture. Back at the end of July, I received an email from Kim Eskin, the Director of Development at Chesser Home, a nonprofit organization in Florham Park, New Jersey. They are a specialized care nursing facility for young adults with spinal cord injuries and other neurological impairments. The 35-bed facility offers 24-7 nursing care, physical and occupational therapy on site, recreational activities, vocational programs, transportation, and more. Her email went on to say the following, open quote, Hello, John. I stumbled upon your podcast last week thanks to a co-worker. Needless to say, I have listened to multiple episodes in just a short time. You are doing amazing work as you continue to advocate and spread awareness for those with spinal cord injuries while helping them share their personal stories. This November 10, we are hosting our 40th anniversary gala. The event will honor our determined residents, dedicated staff, board members, and those within the community. I would love to speak with you more about an opportunity to honor you for your advocacy in the community and all that you are doing to spread awareness, end quote. Wow! Amazingly enough, I will be receiving the Spinal Cord Advocacy Award and could not be more appreciative to Cheshire Home and honored that they not only found me slash us, but liked what they've heard. Of course, I know that the Quadcast is nothing without my guests and their inspirational stories. So this award is truly about them. Thank you all. I so appreciate your helping make a difference in the lives of individuals who have unfortunately had theirs affected by ASCI, like many of us. And now to the business of today's program. As you know, I'm always looking for suggestions on guests, and today's Mr. Kevin Hoagland comes from none other than my good friend, office mate, and star of Season 3, Episode 2, Miss Janine Valenti. She has known Kevin for some time and made the introduction. Thank you, Janine. As I prepare for each show, I ask my guests to shoot me over a brief bio so that I can formulate questions. 
Kevin's wife, Eileen, provided me with his, and it is chock full of accomplishments. Despite suffering an SCI a year after graduating high school, this C4-5 quadriplegic has certainly made his mark. Among the things he's accomplished is being elected Middlesex County surrogate six times, coaching of men's and co-ed softball in New Brunswick for 42 years, founding and serving as president of the Central Jersey Spinal Cord Association since its inception in 1985, and receiving the New Jersey Hall of Fame's Unsung Hero Award in 2018. And we have just scratched the surface, I tell you. Following this public service announcement from the good folks at Cheshire Home, Kevin joins me to tell the rest of his story. And that, my friends, is next. For over 40 years, Cheshire Home, a specialized care nursing facility located in Florham Park, New Jersey, has offered 24-7 nursing care, physical and occupational therapy, transportation, recreation, and more to the spinal cord injured community. As a transitional facility, Cheshire Home is dedicated to empowering young adults as they reclaim their maximum level of independence. Cheshire Home residents live by the motto, able, not idle. The entire staff has one common goal, to improve the lives of their residents helping over 245 residents transition to the community and be reunited with their loved ones. For more information or to find out how you can make an impact on a resident's life, visit CheshireHome.org. And we are back. Remember, you can access the podcast from the following hosts. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. It is now my pleasure to introduce the aforementioned Kevin Hoagland. Kevin, welcome, and thank you for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, John. You know, Kevin, I got your name from my office mate and uh, a good friend who actually appeared as a guest on one of my previous shows, Janine Valenti. She's terrific, isn't she? She absolutely is, yeah. I tell you, I got to know her probably about a year ago. And um, as I said, we share an office at Kessler Institute. She's the driving force behind their Think First program. And she is a great mentor for uh, many of our female patients that are there. And so uh, here's a tip of the cap to Janine for making today happen. I appreciate that more than you know. So why don't we start, as I always do uh, with my podcasts, Kevin, we'll start at the beginning. Where did you grow up, and what were some things that you enjoyed doing as a young man? I grew up in New Brunswick, um, and I enjoyed all the sports. I played you know, football, basketball, baseball, and then went from Sacred Heart Grammar School to St. Peter's High School in New Brunswick, and mostly baseball. Um, I was very involved with student government. I was junior class president, then senior year I was student council president. And uh, played baseball in high school, and was very involved with our CYO at my Sacred Heart Church. So uh, you know, I, I just enjoy. I always still still enjoy sports as a uh, viewer now. You're right. But I also, as I indicated on my uh, resume, if you will, that I coached men's and co-ed softball for 
past 40 years here in Brunswick. That's amazing. So I kept my hands in the game, if you will, uh, by coaching. You know, most of the people I coached were, you know, either family, friends, high school classmates, people I grew up with in Brunswick. Sure. So, and we did it, at, you know, just had a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, way to get out of the house and enjoy you know, the summer months, you know, in, in, in the frozen parks. Yeah, and you kind of feel like you're still in the game, right? I, I, like yourself, I was a jock growing up. I played three sports in high school, and after my injury, I, I that that window of competition and uh, getting out there and being a part of something just sort of closed. And so um, a friend of mine asked me, he was coaching a, a, a recreation basketball team. He asked me to help him out. And I told him, how can I get involved in coaching basketball? Not only can I not dribble a ball, I can't even hold a basketball anymore. Who's going to take me seriously? And then 22 years later, I'll be gearing up for uh, another season on the bench this coming fall, and it's been it's been a godsend for me, and I'm sure you feel the same way, right? I'm uh, sure, yeah. Like I said, it, it kept me involved with all of these guys that I was friends with in high school and knew from, you know, being so involved with sports, you know, throughout my high school years. And growing up in New Brunswick, we had from Little League to Babe Ruth and, you know, basketball and football, so... You know, it was, they knew that I knew how to play the game. And, you know, again, as, as someone who was involved in student government, you know, I, I understood leadership, you know, and uh, so put those two together and recruit the best players I could. And, you know, we, we did fairly well over all those years. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned student government. You've mentioned it a couple of times now. As you're getting up into high school, is that something that you're starting to think might be what your career is going to be upon you know high school graduation and then going on to college? Well, actually, when I went to Livingston College, I was studying criminal justice with the hope of being involved in some capacity in law enforcement. Um, I'm not really given politics much, you know, a at that stage of my life, uh, it was, you know, after I was done with school, uh, I, I lived north when I was at my parents' house. When I first got married, we lived in New Brunswick. I got involved with the Young Democrats of New Brunswick and, you know, very involved with uh, still Mayor Cahill uh, with his first campaign in 1990. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I was approached in 92 about running for Middlesex County surrogate because the president at the time of the surrogate was retiring. So, uh, you know, I, I made uh, inquisitions about running for city council. My dad had been uh, a city council member back in the early 60s, and then he was the Middlesex County pre-older in the late 60s. Right. So he was very involved in local and county politics as well. Yeah. Um, and so again, you know, the, my father's name and our family, you know, was seven generations in the project. So, um, and again, his reputation throughout the county, um, you know, help, you know, elevate me, I guess. Sure. Um, and they were, were, I guess, younger people to, you know, run for some of these different positions. Right, right. Having great fathers is, uh, 
is something, you know, that name is synonymous, right? You get, uh, that's always a good thing. So before we get to, to all of that and what you're doing, um, what you've done later on in life and what you're doing now, Kevin, tell us about the day that changed your life. What do you remember before, during, and after your accident? Well, you know, I, I was, you know, as, as soon as it happened, I knew there was something wrong because I couldn't move. Um, I was outside with my brothers. You know, my, my dad came out. They called the rescue squad and took me to St. Peter's Hospital. And, you know, they did the imaging or whatever they did back then. And, you know, they had a neurosurgeon come in because it was, like I said, Good Friday. And he did the uh, surgery on, on the spinal column. And uh, I was in intensive care for two weeks and then spent another four weeks in, in, upstairs at St. Peter's. And uh, then I was transferred to New York City at Boston. So I, I remember pretty much everything, you know, and uh, I came to terms with it, you know, pretty quickly. You know, I, they never let to tell me what was going on because, you know, I could tell I wasn't moving anything. And, yeah. uh, you know, once I got to Russ, of course, I was surrounded by other guys, you know, a lot of them my age or close to it with spinal cord injuries at all different levels. You know, as you know, from being a Kessler, you know, you spend the whole day either in uh, PT or OT, um, you know, so you don't really have time to, you know, do anything else. Right. I guess the evenings and weekends, and I was very fortunate that somebody was there every evening, uh, mostly my father, and, uh, you know, once a week, a bunch of my friends from high school come in, and you know, so I, I was, I never felt alone, if you will, and uh, yep, you know, my mom was too busy taking care of my younger siblings, um, so I didn't see her much. Although at one point, I guess in June or July, they they allowed me to go home on weekends. My insurance company did, and so my dad would come in with somebody else and. They put me in the car and drive me home, and you know I used to spend the weekend down the shore with them, and uh, they drive me back on Sunday night. And so we did that until uh, you know until the fall. And I got I got released out of Rusk in September. Right. And a week later, I was on a plane with my father and his friend to Notre Dame because my I have a twin brother Gary who attended Notre Dame, and uh, being an Irish Catholic that we are, yes. We were big, we were big fans of Notre Dame. So. Yes. Same with so. us. McAlevey, my dad and I uh, had made a, a trip or two out to uh, to Notre Dame Stadium to see to see some games. That's terrific. You know, you mentioned those those trips where they got you out and you would get down to the shore with family and friends. And I'm sure that those sort of recharged your batteries just for the weekend to get you back into therapy for the rest of the week. You know, we these these injuries that we endure on our bodies, uh, they affect us so much physically, you know, things that we can't do anymore, things that we'll never do anymore. But people don't realize how they affect us mentally. Um, how did your injury affect you mentally? I know you said you came to grips with it pretty early, but did you have, were you, I'm sure you had your moments where you were like, I don't know whether I can do this. Well, you know, again, I had enormous support from my my parents and my, my siblings, my aunts and uncles, my, my two grandmothers, my 
you know, got a lot of cousins. All of my high school uh, classmates and you know people that I grew up with, and uh, so you know, I, I, I was, I guess, you know, I was never one to feel sorry for myself, and and I also took the attitude that you know if they if they were willing to do all these things and support me, then I wasn't going to let them down. You yeah. know, so it, it the credit, you know, goes to my parents mostly, but the fact that all those people, you know, uh, you know, stood behind me the whole time, you know. Yeah. And so they, you know, I got very involved. I was already uh, a member of Knights of Columbus. I joined that when I was 18. Again, followed my dad into the University of Knights of Columbus and, you know, they, they rallied behind me. They had a fundraiser for us. You know, my, my parents put an addition out to the back of their house that was all accessible. And then, you know, the Knights of Columbus and other uh, fundraisers people had, I was able to purchase a, my first lift of a van that I used to get back and forth to school. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I was very fortunate in, in the sense that the the larger community of not just New Brunswick but Middlesex County, you know, rallied around me and my family. Yes. You know, so. Yep. It's amazing how people, you know, the old motto that I love to live by is a friend in need is a friend indeed. And it sounds like um, I had the same support that you did. I, I grew up in Short Hills and I had can't tell you how many times, Kevin, playing on a team, our bus would drive by Kessler and I never really looked up the hill. I knew that it was it was up on a hill, but I never really looked up there and I never really knew actually what went on up there. And little did I know, you know, about seven or eight years after graduating from high school, I would be a, a patient there and, and now working there all, all these years later. But I had a on, on weekends during college football weekends, I think there would be about 25 of my friends. We would all be in the in the rotunda in front of the television set watching games. And like you said, that really kept me going because uh, and, and I had friends that were there. There were other patients that were there that just did not have the familial support and or friends. And I could see that it was really taking a tell. Um, not only on them mentally, but their recovery. You know, it's you, oh, yeah. you need to to recharge the batteries and almost feel like you know your old life. You were still had one foot back in your old life again, right? Oh yeah, and that's the and I, and I always say that that's the key for for me was that my family and all of my friends, even to this day, you know, uh, have not looked at me any differently. You know. Um, they supported everything I did from, you know, going back to school to working to the Knights of Columbus to softball to being involved in politics, you know, everything I did, you know. And then when when we went out on Friday nights to the local, you know, uh, bar that we hung out with or down to the Knights of Columbus, you know, they just get me in the van and, and off I went, you know, yeah. and... Uh, and then back in those days, believe me when I tell you, I was using a manual chair because very little was accessible. Mm-hmm. And they would carry me up and down the steps, you know, and uh, so they made sure that, you know, I was always, you know, 
included in, in whatever we were doing. You were you still know? there, so, right? You were Kevin, and you were still one of the guys, and they had you um, had you with them. It's it's great. It's you're telling me this, and and I'm seeing you know my life as well. I had still have a great group of friends that uh, that haven't left me me behind, and we're we're certainly lucky to have them. So, Kevin, now let's let's fast forward. You're you're at Rusk, and you're finishing up with that, but you know, you have a whole new life and a whole new body and, uh, and probably a whole new mindset. What, what is the thought now? Okay. What are we going to do with our life now that we're, you know, a C four five quadriplegic? Well, my first thought was, how do I get back to school? I knew because I came home in September, I was too late to start, thought of that semester. So that's January. I re-registered and again, I, you know, about a month into it, I realized, first of all, it was a dead of winter. Second of all, Livingston campus was not accessible at all um, or, or just very difficult. So, you know, I, I stopped going there and, you know, went looked at Middlesex County College, which was a relatively new campus and very flat. And, and they, they went out of their way to accommodate me and made sure all the classes that I registered for were inaccessible buildings, you know, and uh, perfect. So, you know, and I always, so I had someone with me, you know, to take notes for me and all that. And, you know, I would take the test out in the hall, um, you know, the written test. And, and ironically, you know, back in 78, 79, we didn't have computers. So I actually was given a self correcting typewriter from the, the people at Rusk, and I typed all my own papers both at Middlesex and at Ryder, um, you know, for different writing classes and, and what have you. So, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and I, to be honest with you, I was not the greatest student in, in high school because I was more involved with extracurricular activities and mm. girls and, and like, you know, and, but then once, you know, after my injury, you know, most of my friends were either working or in school and I didn't have those, distractions and uh so I did fairly well, you know, with school and uh you know, finished up at Ryder and uh you know then you know, just continue with the goal of trying to get, you know, full time employment and uh mm-hmm. actually work with the division of vocational rehabilitation here in New Brunswick and landed my first job at Robert with Johnson Hospital in New Brunswick. Okay. And uh, again, they set me up with this self-correcting typewriter. I was in the patient accounts department collecting, you know, unpaid money from insurance companies, and uh, had to prove to myself and to others that I could work full time. Right. I could get up in the morning, go to work, and you know, do do what needs to be done. And then, uh, you know, I worked there for two years and had the opportunity to go to work for. Middlesex County Department of Human Services, and I was there for about five years when uh, they asked me to run for surrogate in Middlesex County, and I got elected in November of '92 and was there for 28 years. Yeah, I was and I was reelected uh, total total of six times. I was elected for five-year terms each time, and uh, you know, I got to know through all that campaigning through Middlesex County is 25 towns and. Mm-hmm. Now about eight hundred thousand people, so you get to know a lot of people, and you know they get to know you, and uh, 
And so, obviously they liked you because they reelected you six times. But uh, help me out here. What exactly is a county surrogate and what are your duties in that regard? So in, in every county in New Jersey, uh, there's a, a surrogate's court. And that's where people go to probate wills. Uh, we also handle adoptions. And we act as deputy clerk to the Superior Court. So when, if you can imagine, people are, you know, families are fighting over their mom's estate or dad's estate, um, you know, so those go to court, the Superior Court, because they have to argue before the judge, you know, who gets what and who should be, especially when there's no will, you know. Right. Yeah. They argue about who should be the administrator. We also did, uh, they, the Superior Court also handles guardianships of incapacitated adults. So, you know, if you don't have a power of attorney and you don't appoint someone to handle your affairs if you become incapacitated, then someone, usually the next to can, has to file the papers with our office. Right. And then we, we work with the Superior Court judge and, you know, there's a process for hearing and, you know, doctor's reports and the judge will determine who is the guardian of incapacitated person. So it's a, in, in, in Middlesex, you know, it's a very busy office because of the population. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, again, when I first started there, there were no computers to be had. And uh, this was 1992. And so, you know, my goal was to modernize the office, implement, you know, computers. There was, you know, one program out there that most of the service officers were using uh, to run the office, if you will. Right. And, you know, we, we, we brought that in. We we established satellite offices because anyone who's familiar with Middleton County knows that there's a lot of traffic. And getting into downtown New Brunswick, especially when you're dealing with mostly senior citizens. So we opened up uh, satellite offices out of the various senior centers. Um, and they were by appointment, and, you know, it just made it easier because they're almost all at senior centers. They were familiar with the, the senior centers. They were, you know, much more at ease driving closer to home. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it eliminated a lot of people from coming. Because when you came to the Brunswick office, there was no requirement for an appointment. So it, it reduced the number of people coming to the Brunswick, and it allowed our clerks, you know, at a point in time with, you know, the papers in hand most of the time. And mm -hmm. so it really worked out well. You yeah. know, and then we, we I implemented a speaking program, uh, went out to the senior centers and veterans groups and church groups and had a, attorneys who specialized in estate planning and probate. And we talked about the importance of having a will and a power attorney and advanced directive. And, you know, we made an effort to, you know, give them whatever material we could, you know, as far as information went, you know, yes. so, you know, we, we, you know, through the years, we, we took it to a, the next level, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, so it, so it helped our office. Um, we had the full cooperation of our freeholders and our administration. And, you know, we worked with the senior centers throughout the county. And uh, it really did work out well for us. So, uh, you know, I had a nice long career. And, uh, you know, I was there through the first eight months of COVID. Oh, good grief. Yeah, so, yeah, that hit 
I told him I was going to retire by the end of the year. And that was before COVID actually started. And then March the 2020 hit. And COVID retired closed. you anyway, right? Well, you know, I, I was ready to go. I mean, I, you know, I, I've, you know, like a lot of people with spinal cord injury, uh, deal with some health issues. And, uh, you know, so yeah. I was ready to go. I had 33 years total in the county. and You paid you know, your so dues, I, Kevin. You know. You paid your dues. Yeah, and, and you know, as, as you saw on my bio, I have uh, a son who's now 29 and a daughter who's, who will be 28. And so I had gotten divorced in 2013, I think. And so, but they were, you know, already in college. And right. so my, as a father, my goal was to help them get, you know, their education that mm -hmm. they needed. And so Kevin Jr.'s got his master's in education as a teacher up in uh, East Rutherford. And my daughter Morgan is a nurse here at St. Peter's Hospital. And oh, terrific. They're both out on their own. So, you know. So you had done I, your job. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was okay for me to retire because my financial obligations were, were, taken care of in that respect. Absolutely. Know? Yep. Kevin, yeah. in um in nineteen eighty five, you founded the Central Jersey Spinal Spinal Cord Association. First of all, tell us what it does and on a personal note, how fulfilled are you with all it's accomplished over these thirty six years? Well, you know, you talked about you and I having this great support system and you know when I was at Rusk, the three, I was in a room with three other guys and they were pretty much our age, my age, and they really did not have anywhere near the visitors I had. And so, and, and, I, and I also knew that, you know, between my father, who was you know, a successful attorney and community at large, who had all these different fundraisers for me, I was, I was very, very blessed and, and had the good fortune to not have those financial worries about buying a van or having a, you know, accessible home and, you know, didn't have to worry about, you know, paying for college and things like that. And so, you know, I went to my dad and, and my brother and we, you know, they, my brother did all the, the legal work and we created this organization for really three, three purposes. One primarily was to raise money for spinal cord research. And we started with the Miami Project to cure paralysis. Then we went to the Christopher Reeve Foundation. But over the last about 20 years, we've raised the money that we do every year for uh, Dr. Wise Young over at the Spinal Cord Injury Project at Rutgers. Uh, we just felt like, you know, we raised the money from the Central Jersey community, so the money should stay here, you know. And yes. I think most people will tell you that Wise Young is probably the foremost expert in spinal cord research. So we got to know him and his staff over there very, very well. Um, so that that was the primary, uh, you know, purpose. But more, just as importantly, we have probably, you know, given over $800,000 to individuals to spinal cord injuries for band modifications, home modifications, you know, whatever it is that they might need, um, you know, that their, their insurance won't cover or they couldn't afford to have, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, you know, that was secondary. And thirdly, you know, just advocate for the, you know, people with disabilities in general. And, 
indicated um, by bio that, you know, I got involved with then Mayor Lynch and, and then Mayor Kale and still, you know, still involved with, you know, making new public barrier free because when I worked, first worked down there, I couldn't get from my office to, to the main street on George Street where all the restaurants were because there were no curb cuts. Yes. And we're talking about 1985 probably at the time. And, you know, so I went to the mayor and I told him, I said, look, you know, I got to go out in the street and then up into the driveways. And, you know, so think about, you know, what we're doing. That, that was pre-Americans with Disabilities Act. So, we, you know, we started with the curb cuts. We identified where the handicapped parking should go. Because New Brunswick really, if people are familiar with New Brunswick, is, you know, very vibrant city with restaurants. And we have two major hospitals here, Rutgers University, Johnson & Johnson, um, the courthouse, the courthouses in, in New Brunswick, you know, City Hall, the post office. So, you know, I worked with, you know, then Congressman Bernie Dwyer to make our post office accessible. Uh, you know, we, we got an elevator put into the back of City Hall to make that accessible. And then, then once I was involved with the county, I started working with the freeholders and the different people in the county government to make all of our buildings, all of our county parks accessible for you know, people with disabilities. So, mm -hmm. so it's been, uh, it, 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 you know, it didn't happen overnight, but we did again, you know, because maybe because of my political connections, maybe because I was a pain in the ass, I don't know. But <laughs> that helps. I, 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 I've never been one to take no for an answer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I explained to them after the ADA was passed, I said, look, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you that the law says that you have to do this. Yeah. If you don't do it, well, then I'll be in court with you, you know, and the judge will be telling you to do it. So let's not go there. Exactly. Let's just, you know, work together on this. Mm -hmm. And I'm not telling you that you got to cut every curve in the next year or two. You know, it's going to be a gradual thing. Sure. But, you know, if New Brunswick, I would, I, I would venture to say uh, that New Brunswick is probably the most accessible city in the state of New Jersey. And I can't think that there's another county that is more accessible than Middlesex uh, in terms of their, you know, government buildings or parks, you know, all the things that county government you now has control of. Yeah, you know? and that sounds like it's due in large part to Kevin Hoagland. Well, you know what? It, it, it's in large part to the fact that, you know, our, our mayor and our, our freeholders understood, you know, the importance of it, you know, and, sure. you know, without them, you know, I, I didn't have to fight with them because yeah. they knew how important it was, not just for me, you know, but for every, everyone, you know. That's the right be, thing to do, right? I mean, there's a whole segment of this population that can't, yeah. like you said, I mean, you can't, the curb cuts, I mean, parking and, and whatnot, it's it's for for. People like us to participate in life yeah. again. We need certain things, and and the ADA was an amazing thing, and because of that, it opened up a lot of doors, literally and figuratively, uh, for folks like us. Right, Kevin? Well, yeah, folks like us, and then you think about you know the elderly, and you know they're walking with canes or you know walk, and even you know when you think about it, mothers with strollers, you know instead of having a 
hop up the, the stroller or carriage. Yeah. They just go up the curb cut. And then, you know, we've made sure that the curb cuts have that tactile, uh, you know, surface so that, you know, people with visual impairments or people who are blind mm-hmm. could feel that they were at that intersection. Right. You know? So that, you know, so again, the city and the, and the county were very cooperative. Yeah. And, and the engineers in both city and county, you know, researched and, and did their homework and they did it right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I could, I can tell you through experience that every parking in New Brunswick is accessible because of the work that the engineering department did. And, and so they understood, you know, once the law was passed, it made it even easier. Yes, sure. And so again, everybody has budgets. And so I didn't expect it to happen overnight. It didn't, but it, but it happened, you know, and now I can tell you that after all these years, I, I don't know that there's, an intersection that's not, you know, accessible or is not, you know, adequate handicap parking anywhere in the city or county. That's terrific. Kevin, how yeah. about, I know you mentioned with the um, the Central Jersey Spinal Cord Association that you founded, you mentioned that you are able to help some folks out that might not be able to to make ends meet with certain things. Is, is there a website or something that maybe some of my listeners might be listening that could could use a little help with something that, that they might be able to access that from? Yeah, if they, if they Google Central Jersey Spinal Cord Association, um, you know, that'll take them right to the website. Okay. Okay, that's and terrific. Any information is, is there. And, uh, you know, like I said, we, you know, it seems like over the last few years, we haven't gotten as many requests as we used to, but I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, we've... You're still certainly... up and open for business, though. Oh, yeah. Yep. Sure. Okay. Kevin, I did a little research on you before I got the bio from Eileen on email and a quick Google search. I found something that I thought was really cool. Uh, and that is that in 2018, you were honored with the New Jersey Hall of Fame's Unsung Hero Award. First of all, how great was that? And tell us about the whole thing. Well, it was really great. We went, you know, uh, Eileen and I and, my, and most of my family, my dad had passed away, but my mom and my kids and my brothers and some other friends, I, I was allowed to have, you know, a certain amount of people come and, you know, so it was really cool to be there with uh, Kate Foss and uh, probably Lloyd was in that class and uh, Stevie Van Zandt. I got to meet Bruce Springsteen, who's my all-time favorite musician, and we actually share the same birthday, which is tomorrow. Oh, good grief. Um, he's three years older than me, but, uh, you know, I, I probably have seen Springsteen play, you know, 30 times over the course of all these years. And uh, Springsteen introduced Stevie Van Zandt. Because every every person that got inducted had someone, you know, had someone introduce them. I was introduced by Governor Murphy, who was my running mate in 2017. Um, and then Kate Walsh was was uh, he was uh, you know installed by uh, Mariano Rivera, and I'm a huge Yankee. Uh-huh. I, I knew that Carly Lloyd was going to be there, and so I and, and I knew Mariana would be there. And, you know, 
number one, I was very surprised by the whole thing because, again, my friend Eileen Harkins, you know, submitted my name and without me knowing it. Yeah. And I got a call one night from uh, one of the board members of the New Jersey Hall of Fame who I happened to know from Middlesex County to tell me that, you know, I was elected to this, you know, this Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, what made it even more special was a uh, firefighter from New Brunswick who lost his life uh, rescuing a family uh, and received the same award a few years before that. And, uh, so for you know for for me to get that award, that, you know the fact that Jimmy DeHaan yep. got it made it even more special. That's know? amazing. Um, but you know, I, I can tell you that I got a, a picture of Mariana Rivera, and I knew a, a couple of my nieces were you know big soccer fans. So I mean, that she got me small little soccer balls. He deflated them and put them in my, my bag that I have on the back of my chair. And he took them out and had Carly Lloyd sign for him. You know, it was, just, it was just a really great night, you know, meeting Bruce Springsteen. And at the end of it, uh, Stevie Van Zandt was smashing and, you know, inducted it. They, they uh, Springsteen and Stevie Van Zandt were out, all out of the stage, you know, singing, I want to go home. And, you know, the Indian from the, what's the name of that group? What's that? Oh, the village people. Oh. Yeah. So the, the guy, you know, the guy that plays the Indian, he was there. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, so it was, it was, you know, it was, it was just a really, you know, special night for, for everybody. What a um, night. My gosh. Talk yeah. about checking all of your boxes, Kevin. You had your sports people, your mu- the yeah. musicians that you looked up to. And um, yeah. what a night all, all in one. Where did they have it? Where was the occasion? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they just do a phenomenal job where they assign someone to be with you all you know, the whole time from the time you arrive, and they make sure that you're supposed to be, you know, sitting where you're you know, supposed to sit. And, sure. You know, the time you go up to the back of the stage and, you know, all that. So they, you know, it was, it was really just a great night for, you know, everybody not just the inductees, but, you know, the, the yeah. families and, and the friends that were there. You know? Absolutely. So. What a great occasion. So, Kevin, how about now? What are you working on now? Do you have anything um, that is a next big project, or are you just, at this point, uh, enjoying being retired? Well, you know what? I, I, I enjoy being retired in the sense that I have to get up every morning and go to the office, but... Uh, Almost two years ago, I got a call from a very good friend of mine um, asking me to be the chairman of an organization called Feeding Middlesex County. And it's a nonprofit organization that raises money to support the county's food distribution network, which is called Replenish. And Replenish is, is part of the county government and it in turn supports 150 food pantries throughout the county. And the goal of Feeding Middlesex County uh, is to raise the funds to support Replenish, again, which in turn supports the food pantries, you know, because unfortunately, you know, 
the food insecurity issue, you know, both here in Middlesex and all over the country, really, yeah. has just, you know, gone through the roof, first because of COVID and now because, you know, cost of living has gone up higher than, you know, government been in the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, more and more of our friends and neighbors are finding it difficult to have enough food for themselves and their families. And so these food pantries, you know, God bless all those volunteers and the people that run them. You know, they go to the warehouse and each budget, you know, a couple times a week and they get all the food and things that they need, plus they do their own fundraising. Mm-hmm. And then their clients will come to, you know, the churches or wherever they're located locally to get, you know, the food that helps them, you know, along with the food that they purchase themselves. Yeah. And, um, you know, when, when my friend who called me, uh, and I was very aware of the organization. I supported it myself financially. Um, I, I did, I, and I knew the woman who was the founding general, and she had to step aside for her her husband's health reasons. But I, I you know, gladly accepted it with support of Eileen. I was not aware that it was as involved as it is, but, you know, I, I still would never say no to it. Right. And, uh, Yep. You know, again, I've been, you know, very fortunate that I, I've never had a day without having food in my refrigerator or, or in the pantry, you know, mm-hmm. or you know, growing up, my children certainly haven't. Sure. So you, you feel for the people that, you know, and when we had COVID and they shut down the schools, especially in the urban areas of, you know, New Brunswick, Perth, Amway, you know, areas like that where the kids were getting breakfast and lunch at school. Yeah. They weren't going to school anymore. They were doing it remotely. So, you know, there was that issue as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. you know someone had to step in and, you know, try to help make up for that. Yes. And, uh, and I, I so have we, a feeling you know, I have a feeling, Kevin, that it it comes from your upbringing and that Irish Catholic background that you have, but you certainly have that gene to to want to, as you just said, step in and and fill the void not only to help folks in the spinal cord injured community, but now with uh, with food uh, and those that that don't have enough of it. But do you think that's where that comes from? That you have that Jones to want to help your fellow man? Oh yeah.
very successful in his law practice, and mm-hmm. so he could afford that, you know. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it just made sense. Yeah, so nice to the Knights of Columbus certainly was a, a, an organization, still is, that, you know, looks to work with the community to do whatever needs to be done. And, yep. You know, so, you know, it kind of was ingrained in me as a kid, watching yeah. my dad, and even my mom, too, you know, being involved with our schools and our church and, you know, all these different organizations. I knew you were going to so, say, yeah, I knew you were going to say that's where it came from, that uh, your, your parents instilled that in you and... You know, nowadays, we're not sure that the young folks nowadays are, are doing that. And uh, as, as we like to say, the older I get, it's a different world that we're all living in now. But thank goodness you had that and that you were able to uh, fill the void and help so many folks out, which which will now lead me, Kevin, to my last question. And it's one that I ask all of the spinal cord injured folks that I have on uh, as a guest. And it is this. If I were to be able to snap my fingers right now and you would be completely able-bodied once again, what would be the first thing that you, Kevin Hoagland, would do? Well, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but it's it's a yeah, question, it's, and I'll tell you where it came from. I was waiting for a doctor's appointment. I was at Kessler in the long hallway waiting, and I was actually with a friend of mine. This is crazy. A high school buddy of mine who seven years or so ago was out water skiing, and he got wrecked and had a severe spinal cord injury. So here's two guys that hung around all the time in high school, and now we're both, you know, C3, four quads. And so, as I said, we were waiting in this long hallway, and there were a bunch of people there. And I just said to him, I said, uh, hey, Tommy, if I were to snap my fingers right now, what's the first thing you would do? And he did like you did. He paused. And then from behind me, I heard a woman say, I would go out and garden in my in my backyard. And then I heard a gentleman in front of us said, I would go out into the garage and work on the car that I was working on. And another guy said, I would be building, you know, woodworking. And I thought, wow, if I ever put a podcast together, this is a powerful question because there's going to be a million different answers. And so that's sort of where it came from. So um, now that you've had a minute, does, does anything come to mind? Well, yeah, I, 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 but every year that we've had our annual dinner, you know, I, I've always said that, you know, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't been able to put my arms around my kids. Sure. So, you know, honestly, you know, even until he died, yep. you know, I, do that with my dad. Yep. And uh, so it's, for, for me, it's, it's, you know, I can tell you, I'd like to jump in the ocean or, uh, you know, something like that, but it would be more, you know, more important to me to, uh, you know. To grab your loved um, ones. Yeah. That's I awesome. Mean, you know, I um, have... I had someone on recently that said I would I would love to get out of my chair and dance with my wife. I had yeah. um, Eric Legrand told me, he said, the first thing, John, you really want to know? He said, the first thing is I would run out the front door butt naked and run down the street. And, uh, yeah, well, you know what? 
I, I was famous for, you know, back in the 70s, mooning people, you know. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was the thing to do. Yes, uh, it was. I don't think at 63 I'd be mooning anybody, but uh, <laughs> I would certainly want to line up all the people that, you know, have been with me all these years from my lean to, you know, uh, my family to my friends. And that's, that's kind of what I say at dinner every year. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, you know, because, again, you know, 24 and a half years, you know, I, I didn't get here without a lot of support. Yeah, they and, all stuck with you too, right? And, I, and I've had, you know, uh, you know, I've had my share of, you know, surgeries and, you know, hospitalizations that, uh, you know, we weren't quite sure if I was going to get through them. And, you know, um, so, you know, those, those are the type of things that I think more about than, uh, yeah. you know, running around butt naked or. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, but, that's you know, a great and, answer. And at my age, I'm, I'm not sure that I'd be playing softball or, you know, anything else like sure. that, you know, but, uh, you know, so yep. I think the easy answer is to line them all up and, and start hugging people. That's you it. Know? Simple uh, pleasures, Kevin. I know that, that that at the end of the day is a cliche, but it's so true for folks like us. Uh, simple pleasures, at least for my end, that's that's the way I look at it. And uh, I want to thank you so much, Kevin Hoagland, for, for joining me here on the quadcast today. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and to, to share your inspirational story. But more importantly, I, I want to thank you on behalf of the community for all that you have done in the past uh, and for all that you and your, your association continue to do, because you don't have to do that. And you do, uh, you fill the void as we've talked about, and it is something that is much appreciated. I must let you know. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And that will do it for season three, episode six of the Quadcast. My special thanks again to Kevin Hoagland for joining me and for all he does for our community. Be sure to check back with us next week, as my guest will be Jason Keatsingslip, who is a professional wheelchair tennis player that is ranked 35th in men's singles and 26th in men's doubles. Jason just competed in the U.S. Open last month, and I can't wait to hear all about that and the journey that brought him to the courts of Flushing Meadows. As always... I must thank my mix master at Harbor Picture Company in New York City, Chris Parapesco. And until next time, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I don't care about no wheelchair. I got so much left to do.